You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Eva Price, and welcome to my first show. I love theater, like really, truly love it. When I was a kid, I spent more time listening to original cast albums than almost anything else. While most kids played video games or had hobbies, I dreamed up musicals to put on in my living room instead. And now I'm living my dream. I'm a Broadway producer. On March 6th, I had shows running in Chicago, Los Angeles, and on Broadway. And on March 13th, I had zero shows running anywhere. I was heartbroken. The theater is not only a second home, but it literally makes me feel more alive. So I adapted to the new world and to the new me, and I realized I'm not alone with this heartbreak. So I came up with this idea for this podcast. See, my first shows made me who I am today, so why not hear about the first shows that inspired and transformed other people too? More interesting, better known, more successful other people. Everyone could use a little joy right now, and what better way than being reminded of the happy memories that made us? And though it's important to find joy and levity right now, it's also paramount that we recognize the pain and anguish our industry and country are also going through. COVID may be the framework for this terrible time, but the epidemic of racism, both in America and in the American theater, cannot be ignored. Today, I'm celebrating the resilience of the theater industry, but I'm also celebrating its capacity for change. So many talented and brave people have stood up and are speaking out, And I stand with all those Black artists, and I say Black Lives Matter, and I will work harder, I will work longer, and I will work with you to change the future of theater and Broadway for the better. And since it's June, and it's Pride, I'm also celebrating my dear friend, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. In addition to making us laugh and feel, both on stage and on TV, Jesse has fought for gay rights so people like myself could legally wed. Thank you, Jesse. You and I both know there are so many more fights ahead of us. And thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the pilot episode of My First Show, recorded on May 4th. Well, hello, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You are my first guest on my first show 
for our first podcast during our first pandemic. How about that? (laughs) Hopefully our last pandemic. (laughs) It's an honor. Thanks for asking me to do this. Thank you for being here. Um, You are a true um, gentleman of the theater and also of the screen, which makes us super excited here at my first show that we have a multi-hyphenate. Um, you're an activist, you're an artist, you are a dad to be. Can we talk about that this hour as well? It is a show of firsts in many, many ways. Um, and Jesse, I don't know if you know this, but, um, I saw you, uh, when I had just begun dipping my toe into the theatrical space here in New York, you know, I came from the politics and television news business, right? You were doing a Joe's Pub (gasps) concert or cabaret, I believe. I remember seeing you at that Joe's Pub cabaret and thinking, who is this guy? Oh, my God. I don't even remember what I sang at that. I I remember the company I kept, but I don't remember what I did in it. was it was I good? You were great. You were great. I because I think this was even pre-spelling bee. This was like Yeah, it must have been. Leah Delary was probably part of that because I did a lot of stuff with her at that point in my career. But yeah, that was that was pre-spelling bee. Yeah, yeah. So I've been watching you. I've been watching oh my you. God, I love that you saw that. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, you were making your thrilling return to Broadway this season in the revival of Take Me Out. If you don't mind, I, we're so sorry, you know, to every member of the Broadway community who is in rehearsal or about to open or in tech or in previews or in performances there, it's an unprecedented time and there's nothing we can compare this feeling to, but will you take us back maybe just for a minute where, where in your process were you and what did you guys think was actually going to be happening as the ground started to slip underneath you? Uh, well, you know, when we first started rehearsal, uh, we saw her on on March third, um, and the pandemic was starting to sort of feel like this real thing that was sort of creeping in. But you know, we continued on with rehearsals, not really knowing what was going to happen. Um, you know, there was weird things happening, like we weren't able to get hand sanitizer and at stores, and like they were, it was like on Amazon for eighty dollars, and like weird things like that were sort of making themselves known, and it felt like oh, something strange is happening. Um, and it did make the early days of rehearsal, um, something I was very grateful for because it was, it was, you know, something to focus on, but at the same time, it it was hard to sort of sit into the process because there was sort of this growing panic in the city and, um, you know, creating something, it's very personal and it's very, um, it's very emotional and it's, uh, the, the rehearsal process is a really delicate time for a company. And, you know, it's, it's a time to try new things and to, to be vulnerable and to, to be in that process, but at the same time feel such vulnerability outside the rehearsal room was, was really hard to, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I think it was hard to create in that, in that environment. Um, but at the same time, like I said, it was just such a great thing to be able to focus on something. Um, so uh, we were two weeks into the rehearsal process when um, when we decided to pause our rehearsals and and uh, return home. 
which was very hard. I mean, I came back to LA and I, Jesse Williams and Patrick Adams, who were two of my other cast members who live in Los Angeles, came back uh, on the same flight with me. And it felt very defeatist to come back, but at the same time, felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, but it, it's, uh, it was heartbreaking because, you know, we, were, we had gotten to the point where we got to go visit the stage and we did some voice work with Kate Wilson, who's a fantastic dialect coach um, and voice coach on, on the stage of the Helen Hayes. And, um, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm, so, I'm so deeply emotionally connected to live theater. Um, and the excitement that I've been having around doing this play has been building for almost a year now because I've, I've, I was offered the role a, a while ago. So it's been something that has really kept me, kept me going. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's really devastating to have to sort of step away from it. But there's also this comfort knowing that the entire theater community is in the same boat and we're there, we're going to pull each other through it. And, um, you know, we will, we will get out of it, you know, what that timeline is, who, who knows, but, um, there, there's no one more resilient than, than the Broadway community. Absolutely. And, and all know, the community and all that, but in all the actors and community in New York produce, produce theater and make art. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, it's a moment of resilience that, that we're all, um, responding to and that we were made for, it feels like we were, we were right. called upon <laughs> to deal with m- moments of resilience in our, yeah. in our in our life, um, and it's really interesting as an activist who cares deeply and spends his time and and energy to promoting LGBTQ issues. Um, mm-hmm. What a remarkable what a remarkable return to the theater to be in Take Me Out of all the plays too. Yeah. That must have been so meaningful. It, it was. Um, it's a play that I got to see for the first time at the Public Theater in 2003. Um, ironically, I was rehearsing a show at Second Stage uh, called Little Fish. It was a new Michael John LaCusa musical. And I, I had a night off um, and I went to go see Take Me Out at the Public and fell in love with it and fell in love with Dennis O'Hare's performance as, as Mason Marzak. And, um, you know, it never occurred to me in my wildest dreams that I would ever get to play that exact part. Um, and you know, years later at four second stage, <laughs> so that there's a full circle moment right there. <laughs> I believe that because it does mean so much to me that, that the, the universe is, is bringing it to me for that, for a very specific reason. And, um, it's, it's rewarding me for, um, I don't know, something. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like because I have such a, uh, a meaningful relationship with this play and the history of it. I, I, it makes me believe that the play will happen just for that reason alone. It will. It will. It will be back. It is always the right time for Take Me Out on Broadway. That I don't think any of us have to worry about. It is the right yeah. time. And it will always be the right time for that play. So one of the things, four of the things we talk about, not just one, is our firsts. Our first as it relates to theater and how it shaped us, who we are today. So um, I have four basic questions for you, and I'm going to launch right into it and see where the conversation takes us. Um, What was the first show you ever saw? You know, I was... I'm thinking about this and it's, it's one of those things. I, it's sort of foggy. I, I was definitely a production done by, um, a community theater 
uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was either the Albuquerque Civic Light Opera, which did all you know the, the standard musicals, or it was um, part of the Albuquerque Children's Theater, um, which you know I ended up being a part of later. I think my very first show that I actually saw was a production of Oliver at the Albuquerque Civic Light Opera, um, and I. I think um, no, no, sorry, not not Oliver. I did Oliver later. Peter Pan, mm. and I remember that because Neil Patrick Harris was um, was John Darling in it, and I I remember he was like the, the celebrity from Albuquerque, and um, I was just like I was just in the audience watching Peter Pan with my mom and my dad, and um, thinking like this is an amazing thing. I would rather be on the other side of the footlights than sitting in the chairs. I remember thinking that very specifically. And do you remember, first of all, this was post Doogie Hauser. That's what you're telling me? I think it was pre Doogie Hauser. Oh my God. It was like post Clara's Heart, pre Doogie oh, Hauser. I <laughs> love Clara's Heart. Of oh, course. Right? Goldberg. Of course. Of course. I tell you, I have an eye. I saw Clara's Heart back then, and I thought, this kid is going to be somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what was it sitting in that audience like what specific either emotion or scene or idea popped into your head or that you observed that made you think I need to be on the other side of the footlights you know I was a very shy kid growing up um you know I don't think I knew that I was I was gay at that point but I knew there was something different about me and uh, I didn't feel like I fit in with a lot of the the kids that I went to school with. And I remember sitting in the audience and watching all of these people come together and create art together. And it was something clicked inside of me. I was like, these, these people are all so connected and it seems like they're a family up there. And, you know, I, I love the relationships that they were um, creating in front of me. And I, I, of course I love the music and the dancing. And I was just like, how did they learn all of that? Like that must've taken time to, to figure out. And like, I want to be a part of that process to figure out how to do that thing. And, um, you know, I, also, I mean, Peter Pan's such a great show to see is, um, it, you know, is your first show because like literally actors are flying around the stage. I mean, you know, it's like flying by foy back, back then. So it was sort of like, they sort of just like dangled across the stage. They sort of like swung back and forth. There wasn't a lot of technology behind it, but, I remember just being so enamored with all of the stagecraft and I told my mom afterwards, I was like, I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to do this. And uh, she, uh, she knew of the Albuquerque Children's Theater, which was a, a company of children that performed children's theater basically for other kids. Um, and, you know, it was like a, a low pressure um, <laughs> type of, you know, theater group. And, you know, they did a lot of theater games and then, you know, it, it was mostly, uh, small little productions, and then once a year they would do a, a bigger show. And the bigger show happened to be at the same theater that I saw Peter Pan at. So I was like, if I get to perform someday on that big stage, I mean, that would be a huge thrill for me. And my mom was very confused because I was such a shy kid and such an introvert. So I think she was just excited that this was something that I felt so passionate about. Um, I also was in a production of Peter Pan where Flying by Foy did the flying so yeah. they they are they have a lock on the peter pan yeah, production they, they cornered that market at that especially in, in you know that the 80s uh yeah. Yeah. the 70s 80s and early 90s it was like if, if you're flying you're flying by boy that's so true that's so true <laughs> 
That is really funny. That is really funny. And, you know, Peter Pan, that's so interesting that that was your entree into this world because that is literally the story of people who dream, people who don't grow up, people who use their imagination to answer life's big questions. And here it was compelling to you to reach for a life in the theater. Right. I never, I never thought about it that way, but that's, that's, that's so true. I mean, all the themes of Peter Pan are, are, you know, about imagination and yeah, not wanting to be tied down to, or yeah, I mean, a lot of themes about being an actor really are are tied very closely into what Peter Pan's about. Um, Ironically, a few, uh, after I had been performing a little bit in Albuquerque, they, they did Peter Pan again. Yeah, I mean, with those community theaters and regional theaters and those smaller towns, um, Albuquerque is where this one was, you know, they sort of recycle the same, <laughs> like 10 shows. Like every every five years, you're going to see a South Pacific. Um, and Peter Pan was one of the ones that, like, you know, during Christmas time, you know, every every five or six years, there's going to be a Peter Pan. And I got to actually be a part of the next production of Peter Pan that they did. It was one of the Lost Boys. So that was really exciting. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yes. I, I learned a lot of hard knocks in my production of Peter Pan um, when I was cast as second Indian to the left and <laughs> not Smee, which which was my dream role because I was, you know, a slightly sexually ambiguous pirate's assistant right. anyway in life. <laughs> um, I love that. Um, but, uh, but I think it was great. I think actually the fact that I didn't get the role I wanted and I learned the competitive nature of the theater business in my production of Peter Pan helped set me on for, um, a very cutthroat business of being a theater Oh, 100%. I mean, I actually never was given a speaking role until my very first, you know, professional show. Like I was always put into the chorus. Um, and I, I, I guess I, I, there was a point where I was like, do I start second guessing my talent at this point? Like, I, I think I'm pretty good, but it was, you know, a little bit of an, um, an incestuous business. And there was a lot of inside politics, even in, at the Albuquerque Children's Theater and, and the, uh, Albuquerque Civic Light Opera, you know, that the same, like four people would always get cast, you know, the woman who's playing Anna Leon, she's definitely going to be Nellie Forbush. Like it was, you know, she was like the Kelly O'Hara of, of the Albuquerque Civic Light Opera, except for like not nearly as talented. Um, but it was like, you know, the same six people just constantly getting cast. And I was always in the chorus. And I desperately, desperately wanted a speaking role. But at the same time, like what really resonated with me about being in these shows was like I, I said before, when I was sitting in the audience, that sense of like family and creating something together and camaraderie. And even to this day, like my favorite type of shows to do are, are ensemble pieces where, you know, we're all like, building something together. That's beautiful. So that actually leads us really well to our second question of the podcast, which is what was the first show you were in? So yeah, then I I got to be a part of the Albuquerque Children's Theater, which is what I begged my mom to let let me do. And um, my very first uh, production I actually got to be in was a production of Alice in Wonderland. And I was the White Rabbit. Um, I, I probably just because I was so alabaster skinned and like i was i'm still to this day very very white <laughs> um but it was a you know i felt i felt very um i felt very important it was a very it was a it was a 
big role. It was, you know, the white rabbit and Alice in Wonderland. And I guess I take back what I said about never having a speaking part because I did, that was like my, right out of the gate, I got a pretty good part. So white rabbit is like a big deal, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> read the one it, that leads down, down, down the rabbit hole. I mean, you know, to the, that's how she gets to right. Wonderland. I mean, it's, you know, and she's chasing the white rabbit. It, that's throughout the whole show. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I not only did I have lines, but I had a lot to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was maybe typecasting because of your translucent, young, redheaded <laughs> ginger. Type. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I, I, um, but I, but what I really, I don't, I really, I don't really remember what my duties were in the show. I don't remember like what my costume looked like. I just remember again, like that sense of being so excited to rehearse. I remember, you know, when we got to technical rehearsal and, you know, we were kids, so we, they didn't like do 10 out of 12. So we were like working till midnight. Um, and it wasn't a very complicated show to tech, I'm sure. But just, <laughs> you know, at the end of those rehearsals, when I had to go home and like, go back to school the next day and not be around those, those people. It was just devastating. I just could not wait to get back into rehearsal so much so that when I wasn't um, rehearsing a play, uh, I knew enough about the, the Pope Joy Hall was, was where we performed. I knew enough about the ins and outs of the theater. And this is obviously pre nine 11. I knew how to break into the theater and I would watch um, other shows, tech their, their shows. I, I knew how to like get into the flies and I would, I would stand up in, in the flies and, and actually watch, other shows in tech rehearsal, wow. um, which is probably not safe. <laughs> no, not, a, not even a little bit for you or the other children. <laughs> there's a, there's a great yeah. line. I think it's in gypsy maybe, which is the one thing I hate more than kids is kids on stage. And yeah. <laughs> I always think about that because every theater professional was a kid on stage. So absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there's one thing about like being a kid on stage with other adults and there's other things going on. There's an, it, it's quite a different situation when it's just children running the show. Right. Because right. it's like the, the, you know, the inmates are running the asylum at that point. Like they've <laughs> got full control of the stage. And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, we had been directed within an inch of our life, but there is that thing that I was like, I look back on that time. I was like, did my parents enjoy going to those? Probably not. I mean, they were happy for me to like do what I wanted to do and probably lit up a little bit when I was on stage, but were the shows really that good? I don't know if they were. Right, 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 right. That's so funny. Now, Alice in Wonderland is another, granted, I've never seen a production of it. I've just read it ages upon ages ago. Um, it's another sort of deep, layered, messaged script and book and text of, of things also, you know, also going on on a whole other deeper level, which I, you know, I think all great children's stories do that. They, they have a, yeah. a deeper hidden message that they're saying something else about the world and our, our, our minds and our hearts. Um, Absolutely. But that's uh, was there anything you were afraid of during that production? Like you were excited about rehearsals, which is sort of funny because no one's excited about rehearsals, but were you scared about opening <laughs> night or scared about forgetting your lines? I, mean, I feel like opening night was really more like an opening afternoon. Um, <laughs> and you know, I like ran for maybe three performances over the course of a weekend. Um, I don't remember having a lot of fear. I do remember like in the studio when we would rehearse the, the shows and like there was improv and like we'd, we'd play theater games and it was a little bit more social. I feel like I 
shied away a little bit. Like I liked hiding behind a character. I do know that. And I, I think that's still true to this day. Um, it was, you know, when I had to just sort of be myself and, and, and play theater games and like come up with ideas off the top of my head and, and uh, teamwork with people just, you know, and, and these like trust exercises. I think that's when I, I got a little scared. I really relished in like learning a song or learning a dance or learning my lines and putting on a costume and hiding behind um you know makeup that was that was my that was my my thing that was my jam yeah i think it was about like me sort of being me um i was probably a little more timid and scared that's interesting right because you you became if i'm if i'm not incorrect you became an extrovert you became yeah. someone who knows himself and knows his the presence that he holds in a room and is is truly his individual self and it's it is interesting right that that your your shyness was such a level that even your mother was like are you really going to be doing a play i'm so surprised do you have a sense of like why and how your introverted personality was what it was at that age and what flipped it? Again, I think it it sort of falls back to like, I was always just a very shy, shy kid. Um, I was an indoor kid. You know, I didn't, I didn't like playing outside. I didn't like getting dirty. I like, I liked hanging out in my room by myself. Um, And I, I liked, you know, imagination. I liked uh, creating things uh, in my own little bubble. and yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know what flipped it because for the longest time, you know, when I'm looking back, I'm thinking how shy I was during like these, for example, trust exercises or or you know games we play in 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 the theater uh, rehearsals. Um, I I I think that like I I didn't really become an extrovert until. It sounds so terrible to say, but I think I'm kind of realizing this as I'm saying it. Um, until people sort of told me that I was talented, and like I, I needed that validation from other people, whether it be an audience or a critic or a director or just an opportunity, truly. And that didn't happen until I was, you know, in my twenties. Um, so it, it it took a while, but I think you know, like I said before, you know, having having put myself out there so many times and constantly being told like, you know, you're, you're not good enough for a speaking role or you can't have one of the leads and sort of always um, brushed aside to the ensemble. Um, I guess, you know, it, it sort of, I, I enjoyed doing what I was doing, but I don't think I had the confidence um, there yet. I knew, but the thing is my drive is always still there and I, I still put myself in those situations and I still tried out for the big parts, even though like the heartbreak behind it when I didn't get, it was always so intense. And I remember crying so much when I didn't get these speaking roles. Um, but I kept putting myself out there. And that's one of like, you know, when people always say, you know, don't go into this business unless you really know you, you, you want this. I think back to those times, I was like, Oh, I must've really wanted this because I kept putting myself in that situation when it wasn't even like a career. It was just like a hobby. Right. You know, it's like, I, I, I've always known that this is something I desperately and deeply wanted to do. And I believed in myself, even when other people didn't believe in me. But I think as far as like opening up and becoming more of an extrovert, it took, it took a lot, a lot more um, sort of validation from people and the public and 
Yeah, external, external places. But so how interesting, though, that you had that internal dialogue that said, I really want to do this, when it was, in some ways, the antithesis to who you were as your everyday self. So something really palpable was going on within you that you knew you were shy and knew you were a loner, uh, to a degree, right, playing in your mind. And yet, you were compelled to say, but this is a thing I want. This is where I'm most yeah. comfortable. This f- makes me feel more alive. Yeah. Yeah, and it was also just nice having something that I believed in so deeply. And it almost felt precious to me because I went to um, a school where, you know, the arts program was not really um, appreciated. And, uh, you know, my, my, my schooling, looked bad, but I, I, there wasn't a lot of support for the arts. And it felt like this the secret thing for myself, um, which I think in a lot of ways sort of um, made me more connected to it because I felt I felt like it was like this this relationship almost that I had with 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 acting and being on stage, and it was so meaningful to me. And you know, other people just didn't get it, and that almost made it even more vivid and more intense for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what happens when we have dreams and we go Mm. after them. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about your first professional show. What was it? When was it? Um, <laughs> so my first professional show is kind of a big deal. It was a big one. I, I was 21 years old. Um, about eight months out of school, I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City. Um, and I was non-equity. Uh, I had a, an agent who, um, his name is William Schill. And he, I, I don't think he's around anymore. Um, but he, he basically told, he saw me in my, my showcase at school and told me that he wanted to work with me mostly because he didn't have any other redheaded clients. <laughs> um, oh, showbiz. Oh, well, I, I believe so. that's my end. That's my end. Um, but he submitted me for the, the non-equity um, audition. He submitted me for, um, for, that, for, for On the Town at the Public Theater in Central Park um, oh. at, the, at the Delacorte Theater that George C. Wolfe was directing. The big revival on the town. Yeah. They'd been doing the entire Shakespeare canon, and they had they were finishing the Shakespeare canon that summer, and they were following it with a big love letter to New York. And it was going to be on the town. It was the first revival that had been done in the city for I don't know twenty five years or so. And he submitted me for the role of Chip, which is the part that Frank Sinatra played in the movie. And I just knew it as a big dancing show, 
So I thought, well, I'm never going to get this because I'm not a dancer. Um, but they never had a dance call. Um, they just say George Wolf wanted three he had actors. A vision. He had a different yeah, vision. He had a different vision. I mean, I, I eventually was going to have to learn how to dance, but that wasn't what he led with. Um, and I got to audition uh, for On the Town. I went, I went in for Jordan and Heidi uh, at the public theater. And um, they called me back and I met with George Wolf, who is someone I already was very much aware of because I was obsessed with Jolly Blast Jam and um, Top Dog Underdog and uh, 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 the West Sagan Glover musical, um, Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk. Um, and so I met with him. He was great. And I got to go back again. And I got to be and sing for Betty Compton and Adolph Green, oh which was insane. Um, Adolph Green at that point of his life was not hearing so well. And so he thought he was whispering to Betty when I was done singing, but he was actually screaming it into the room. He goes, he's very good. <laughs> so I immediately had validation from Adolph Green. Um, and they cast me and it was a huge, huge opportunity. It was a really big deal. Um, and it, it was the, the, the ensemble and cast was full of people I've been watching on Broadway for years. Um, it's how I met Mary Testa, who to, to this day is a, wow. such a dear friend of mine and of yeah. yours. Um, and I just remember just, can, I could not believe I was being able to be in this room. I, I it was, it was, it was bigger than anything I'd ever imagined. You know, when, when I say like, you know, having grown up and never been giving a speaking role and just sort of being like, Oh, maybe I'll just be on in, in the ensemble of a, of a, of a Broadway show. And that would be enough for me. It truly, it would um, have been. And here I was like my first big job out of school, you know, I was getting my equity card and I was being given a huge, huge speaking role. I was one of the three major wow. sailors of on the town. And it was just, it was, beyond it was so exciting that is crazy so that and when we say professional here on my first show it could be you could you know it could even be a local community theater but it's a professional show or it could be right. someone being an usher but it's a professional show or right, right, backstage right. crew your very first gig your paid gig in the theater was and this was the was the public run revival yeah. of on the town oh my yeah God. Oh my God. Yeah, it was insane. It really was insane. And um, I met so many people who have stayed in my life um, at, at, through that and through that experience. You know, William Fenn was a dear friend of Mary Testa's and came to see the show. And that's how I first met him. And um, George C. Wolf, uh, that that Thanksgiving after the run of On the Town, had, uh, you know, all the all the orphans basically in New York who didn't have anywhere where to, where to go for Thanksgiving invited uh, I saw it to his place for, for dinner and I sat across the table from Tony Kushner and that's how I met him. So like, you know, it, it really opened up my entire world. Um, and wow. the people that are very dear to me to this day are, are people I met during that time. Was Leah Delaria in that? Production? She was. Yeah. Leah Delaria played Hildy and I played ship and we were yeah. each other's love interests. Yeah. And we yeah. had great chemistry. <laughs> the gayest revival in town. <laughs> and no one knew. No I mean, one knew. Well, you knew. You knew. <laughs> the general public didn't know. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was. I mean, and she's one of my closest friends to this day as well. Wow. That's, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty special. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh my god. We. I need to. I. I'm sure Lincoln Center captured that, right? Because I need to go back and see that. Yeah. Well, then we. we so we transferred from the Delacorte. We uh, transferred to Broadway about I don't know eight or nine months later. 
Um, and, you know, it was such a huge hit in the park. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's free theater in the park. So like, it's very popular regardless. Um, but it was a, it was a production that people were really excited about and it had some mixed reviews, but, you know, I think on the most part, people really enjoyed it. And then it transferred to the Gershwin and, um, it had a very tumultuous run and closed after three months. So mm-hmm. something that was such a big, important thing in my life also became, uh, something that was a, a huge heartbreak. And, um, it felt like my one big opportunity had come and gone, but fortunately they, they did record, um, the production at the Gershwin and it's at Lincoln center and, and the archives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is crazy, right? How, when a show, especially early in your career, when a show closes early and disappointingly mm-hmm. and surprisingly that it feels a, a devastation like no other, that it actually feels. Yeah. Like, it felt like a death. I mean, yeah. Because also when you're when you're at the Delacorte Theater, there's never an empty seat. Uh it's it's always it's always full because it's it's for the it's for the people of New York and the tickets are free and they line up and people fill those seats because it's 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 a gift to them and they are able to, to experience theater for free. And then at the Gershwin when it was struggling, you know, the Gershwin's such a huge house, it's where Wicked's playing now, and you know, we would have you know, I think it's like two thousand seats in that theater and we would have maybe 200 people in the audience and they'd all be sort of near the front oh. of the stage and there'd just be this vast darkness behind them. So, so to go to, from something that was such like a sparkling jewel of the, of the season to this thing that was like just not working was just so heartbreaking um, because we, we had experienced a show when it was just clicking and working and, and it just, it just sort of fell apart. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why really, except I think it's still to this day, one of my favorite shows. Yeah, it is. It's a special one. It's such a love letter to New York, too, which is why yeah. I love it. And it's also, it was great because, you know, Betty Compton and Adolph Green were still alive and would come to the, the show every night at the Delacorte Theater. Um, you know, they lived on Central Park West and they would wander into the theater and, and watch the show every single night. And, <laughs> around, you know, five minutes before the show would start, we'd be down in the dressing rooms and we'd hear a huge ovation. And we knew that Betty and Adolph were walking into the theater and, and it just felt so special to be doing this piece for them. You know, they performed in the original production in 1944. And, you know, here we were doing it for them in this beautiful theater in the middle of Central Park. Uh, it was just, it was very special. Yeah, that's really romantic. And that's living the dream, my friend. That. Yeah. No, I know. Dream. I know. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Our fourth question of the hour is if you could be in any show, Anywhere, at any time, what would it be? Gosh, I mean, this is such a hard question to answer because it's like how big can you dream? Um, the biggest. I know, I know. I That's mean, part of me is like, I want to be at the Delacorte Theater again, but like with Meryl Streep doing Taming of the Shrew. Like, would that be what it is? Or would it be, you know, in the original production of like Merrily We Roll Along or some, some mm. sort of iconic on-time show? Um, but I think, I think the way I want to answer this is by, I guess, like thinking of my dream roles. Um, I I would have loved to, as brilliant as Brett Carver was, and I adore him. I'm so jealous that he got to originate the role of Melina and and Kiss of the Spider Woman. Mm. I I love that part so much. It's, It's a dream role of mine. Like it's, it's, 
I, I, I hope maybe someday I get the opportunity to try and do it, but that production was so special. And, um, you know, Cheetah Rivera was so brilliant in it. And, uh, I, it was like at the height of my Canterneb obsession. Um, yeah, that might be, it might be that show. Wow. That feels very doable, Jesse. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate that it's a dream, but I actually think that's not a stretch and we can make that happen. Just a guess. <laughs> I'm sure there's a line of people who would like to play that part, but I would like to be standing that line. But also just to be, you know, I love doing, like on doing On the Town was great and I love doing a revival, but also I've gotten to create a few new musicals and um, the idea of creating that show from the ground up I'm mm. sure it was thrilling and heartbreaking yeah. and, and, and devastating and, and, and just, I, I mean, creating new work is so hard. Um, and it's, it's, it's a miracle that sometimes we figure out the formula of these shows because the amount of work and the amount of stuff that gets cut out of, out of, out of songs and out of scripts and ends up on, on, on the floor, like it, it's devastating. Um, and the, the fact that, you know, we, continue to hold our heads up high and, and continue to work through the piece and that writers continue to work on, on the material is, is kind of astonishing. And it's like what I love most about artists. I mean, I think that that really painful time of creating a new, new show is um, sometimes when you're in, you're in the trenches with it, it seems so, so difficult, but looking back upon it, I, you know, it's, it's so worth it too. Wow. Um, that's beautiful, Jesse. As we near the end of our show, and this is a surprise, we did not tell mm -hmm. you about this ahead of time, we do a lightning round where I list off a bunch of classic Broadway musicals, and you list off the theme, the first theme that comes to your mind when I say the name of the show. And one okay. word, one word theme. Okay. Because this conversation has been about the things that made us feel emotional and connected to the theater, and we know that when people see shows... They glom onto the things that make them feel emotional and connected to the show. And I want to see if what you believe is an emotionally connected theme is the same as what I believe is the musical's emotionally connected theme. Okay. So, yeah. Here we go. All right. It's a lightning round. So we're going to go fast. Okay. okay. A chorus line. Uh, re resilience. Cabaret. I've... Bodiness. Company. Uh, relationships. Evita. Power. Gypsy. Uh, drive. Into the woods. Imagination. La Caja Fall. Uh, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Being seen. <laughs> Two words. My fair lady. Uh, love. Oliver. Uh, home. Beautiful. You did great. I did okay. <laughs> we're, we're, no, you did great. We're pretty matched up. We were pretty matched up, you and I. We're a little off in some places, but we're we're pretty alive. I feel aligned. like my original was bad. <laughs> it's not about imagination. It's about we, so many more things. Um, it, it's a 
you know, when, I, when people ask me that it's, this is, there's not a one word answer for me. It's the answer to all of life's questions are in those lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like all the, so many Sondheim songs have such a specific different meaning right now in this weird wacky time we're in. They really do. They really yeah. do. Um, you are entering a very exciting period of your life in a few months. And I'm thrilled that amongst this darkness and these series of unknowns and unexpecteds and, and lack of answers, you, you have um, a baby arriving. That's yeah. pretty yeah. Great. How are you feeling it's about all that? Really, really excited and scared, to borrow from a Sondheim lyric. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it is... Uh, in these times right now that are so uncertain and, and so wacky and weird and we have no control over so many things, uh, it's just nice knowing that something definitely I have some control over. There's a baby definitely coming in July. Um, and that's, that's definitely not getting postponed. <laughs> no, 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 there are no refunds or exchanges. Yeah. I'm told. Yeah. So there's something nice about that certainty. Yeah, yeah. How to change the diaper, how to make uh, the baby sleep and eat. Those those are full of uncertainties. But Exactly, um, yeah. But the fact that it's coming is pretty certain. That's so wonderful. Well, I am yeah. so thrilled for you and your husband. And I kind of can't think of two better parents on the planet um, who are so joyful and full of love and inspiration. So, um I'm very, very excited for you. And um, you play your cards right, um, then a miniature tracksuit might arrive. Uh, oh, oh. That's my thing. <laughs> I love, I love infant tracksuits. They're really cute. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> oh, Jesse Taylor Ferguson, thank you so much for spending this time with us and opening up about where you began where you found your voice, um, where you found your inspiration, and how you became the beautiful, extroverted, not shy human that we love from television <laughs> and from theater. Thank you. It's been really nice talking to you about this. It's, it's, it's nice. It made me think about a lot of things I haven't thought about in a while. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, the, the idea sort of came, um, and, you know, once this crisis had started, it sort of came to me um, out of nowhere, just thinking about how sad I was about yeah. um, not being able to experience joy and levity with the theater people of my life. Um, and I just started thinking about the one medium that's not affected by all this. And that was podcasts, which I've always felt were really similar to theater sort of the way I consume yeah. them. There's a story, mm -hmm. there's an emotional connection. You have to be, you have to concentrate and pay attention to get the full experience. And right. um, it just, it seemed like it might be a nice way to, to connect with theater people and their, and their dreams. So I think you. it is. And I'm really happy you're doing it. Thank you. Well, and I'm this, very honored to be your first guest. I am delighted that you're my first <laughs> guest. First and best done. Um, <laughs> Jesse, have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for everything. Um, Thank you. And uh, we'll be back after this. No, sir. <laughs> I won't grow up. 
My First Show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. Special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price. I will stay a boy forever. Stay a boy forever. And be banished if I don't. And be banished if I don't. Cause Neverland will always be the home of youth and joy and liberty. I'll never grow up, never grow up. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.